at Mason City, Illinois, preaching at the Christian Church for over the last eight months and uh, doing an interim ministry. And I actually get to give a special announcement uh, this morning. This is you're going to be the first one, one of the first ones to hear this. Uh, but the Mason City Church has just hired me uh, as their lead minister. Uh, I'm still going to teach at Lincoln. I'm going to be a bivocational minister. I'm going to be a full-time missions prof. Uh, but I'm going to be a pastor. And I really, really appreciate your prayers. Uh, Julie and I hope to move soon, as soon as we can, closer to Mason City. Uh, anybody wants to buy a house, so you can talk to me after service uh, about that. Um, but I have been an elder here for over a dozen years, and I've uh, been here, wow, almost going back 25 years, 24 years. And I just, want to, I just want to stop and say before I preach my sermon that I'm proud of this church. Uh, when, I, when I first came here, uh, this church actually had a reputation of being like a preacher and killer church <laughs> and uh, kind of toxic and unhealthy a lot of times. And uh, it wasn't fun being an elder for a while. Uh, but it, my last few years of being an elder were awesome. And I think this church is healthy. It's not perfect, but it's healthy. And uh, I'm actually very impressed with what you've done recently. I just want to give you some kudos. Uh, hiring Casey McCormick was amazing. Uh, I, giving Mark Weber a two-month sabbatical is amazing. Uh, he's going to come back charged up. And that is, I'm just excited for this church. And I, I really mean that from the bottom of my heart. Um, I also want to know something else God's been doing in my life recently. Uh, it's going to sound a little bit like a commercial. I will get to the sermon. Uh, I'm, I'm an author now. I'm, uh, I finished my first book and I'm, I'm still, I think this year's year, I'm actually going to get it published. Uh, I'm writing my second book. I'm, I'm doing a weekly blog. Uh, and I did in 2017, I did 52 blogs, one a week. Uh, they were short, 500 words, uh, and if you can remember my middle name, you can remember how to get there. It's just michaeledwardnichols.com. Uh, you can go to my website and sign up for my weekly blog if you want to you follow for me. Okay, commercial's over. Uh, let's, let's do the sermon. Will you bow with me as we pray? Father, would you just help speak to us today through, the, through your word? Uh, this is a hard truth for our culture today. Help us to hear it and embrace it and obey in Jesus' name, amen. How many of you watched uh, the Super Bowl recently? Okay, most people did. It was a great game. I love watching the game, but my favorite part of the Super Bowl was when the game was over. And uh, some of you know what I'm talking about. It was the head coach, Doug Peterson, in front of, and I wrote down the 103.4 million viewers. Think about that for a second. 103.4 million viewers were watching the postgame. And when he was asked a question, and before he, the first thing out of his mouth, I wrote down the quote here, he said, I can only give the praise to my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, for giving me this opportunity. Did you guys catch that? That was amazing, the boldness to be able to talk about Jesus. I mean, people were paying $5 million for a 30-second commercial during the Super Bowl because of that viewership and platform. You might be tempted not to say something that would be controversial for some people, but it came out of him, and he said it unashamedly, and he wasn't trying to tell people, force Jesus on anybody. It was just a testimony of his life. It took a lot of courage and boldness to do that, and I, I read a little bit more about Tony Dungy, you know, the former coach at, uh, from the Colts, and he's now an NBC commentator. He made the comment talking about some of the faith, the Christian faith of some of the Eagles players being a factor for that game. 
he got a lot of pushback from that. I don't know if you noticed that. Uh, but it's, Jesus Christ is not politically correct in our culture anymore. Now, you can talk about God sometimes, and maybe God in the abstract, but when you say Jesus Christ, people get upset. Oh, we use it for a swear word, but that's what the sermon's about. You guys have had a sermon series for several weeks now about Jesus and things about Jesus. I know Tracy just talked about Jesus the Good Shepherd last week. And today, we're going we're gonna to focus in on John 14, verses 5 and 6. This is our main text. And you know that uh, this was when Jesus uh, had told his disciples, uh, he said, uh, I'm going to go away, guys. I'm going to go away, but I'm going to prepare a place for you. I'll come back. I'm going to come back. And uh, then we pick it up where Thomas had a question in verses 5 and 6. Thomas said, Lord, uh, we, we, don't know. we don't know where you're going. So how can we know the way? This is John 14, 5 and 6. And Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now, you've got some blanks in your bulletin if you want to fill them in. You guys already know what these blanks are. But I really want you to focus on the first word with the, with the with three things. And that is the word the. What is that? That's a definite article. And you know what? I think we'd be much more politically correct if we just get our you know, pencils out and maybe change that to a, an indefinite article, but we can't do that. It's the word of God. Jesus said, I am the way. He didn't say, I'm one of the ways. I am a way. <laughs> he just said, no, I am the way. And if we change it to a way, people wouldn't get that upset. But he said, I am the only way to get to God. Tracy talked about the good shepherd, and it made me think of Psalm 23. Let's just look again at verses 1 through 4, where it says, The Lord is my shepherd, I lack, I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet. You see that? He leads me. Why? Because he is the way, and he knows the way. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right path. There's a lot of dead-end paths out there. He's going to guide us because he's the way. He's going to guide us. For his name's sake, even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Jesus, the good shepherd, wants to lead you. But guys, he can't do that until you stop leading yourself. You have to stop leading yourself. You have to daily choose, not my will, but yours. Not my agenda, but your agenda. Jesus, you are the way, and I need to follow you. And that's just, let's just be honest, that's why most people don't like Jesus, because he would tell them what to do. Most people don't want to be led by somebody else. Most people say, thank you very much, I'll tell myself where to go. I'll, I'll just, I'll just uh, lead my own life. But why in the world would you want to lead your own life? Because you don't know what's going to happen next, do you? You don't know the future. I don't know the future. Jesus knows the future. Jesus knows where he's going. He is the way. I have students in my office, and we have a few Lincoln students here today, uh, every, every, almost every week asking me questions about their life. And some of them want to know which major to choose. Some of them want to know which guy or girl to date or who to marry. Some of them want to know about which internship to choose or which career path. Or a lot of them want to know what's, what's the next five to ten year plan for my life. They just want to know all this stuff. And I love to kind of just remind them sometimes, do you remember what Jesus did not say? In John 14, he did not say, I'll show you the way. I'll give you a three to five year strategic plan for your life. I'll just show you the way. He didn't say that. 
And he didn't say, I'll explain the way to you. I'll give you all the details of all the things that are going to happen to you. He didn't say that. He didn't say, I'll give you a map. I'll give you a map. You just follow the map. It'll lead you for the next 15 years of your life. He didn't say that. You guys know what Jesus said, right? He said, I am the way. And he just said two words, follow me. I'm the way. Follow me. Peter and John, when they were speaking before the the Jewish Sanhedrin in Acts 4.12, they were so clear about Jesus being the only way. Here's what they said. They said, salvation is found no one else. There is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. Wow, same thing, isn't it? He's the only way. There's no other way out there. And if Jesus is the only way, there's only one response, isn't there? Follow him. Matthew 16, 24, Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple, which is a word that means follower, must deny themselves. Americans don't like that word. We don't like to deny ourselves anything, especially our rights. We don't want to deny ourselves. Deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. So Jesus is the way. But number two is Jesus is the truth, and the definite article is still there. He's not just a truth among a menu of options. He is the truth. He's not just a truth to be considered. He is the truth. And that's the one thing in our postmodern, post-Christian, very tolerant society that we will never tolerate in our culture, at least secular culture, is someone that has an exclusive truth claim. That's the one thing that people will not tolerate. They get upset about it. That's why they get upset when you say the word Jesus. Because Jesus makes an exclusive truth claim. I am the way, the truth, and the life. That's exactly... He is truth. He is absolute truth personified. I know people struggle with absolute truth. And I get it when they say we can't absolutely apprehend absolute truth because we're fallen... We have our own sin and our own filters. So we can't absolutely apprehend it. We can come close. We can't, we can't know truth perfectly. But that doesn't mean there is no absolute truth. Jesus Christ said it clearly. He is truth personified. He is absolute truth. That's what he said. He is truth with a capital T. True, something that's true for all times, in all places, for every person. He said, I am the truth. John 14, 7 through 10, he was trying to get it across to Philip. He said, if you, know, if you really know me, uh, you will know my father as well. From now on, you do know him, and you've seen him. Philip said, Lord, show us the father. That will be enough for us. And Jesus answered, don't you know me, Philip? Even after I've been among you for such a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen God, God the Father. How can you say, show us the father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. And then Jesus goes on to encourage anybody that started to believe that he was the truth. And this shows up in John 8, 31 and 32. To the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. And then I love that phrase. We repeat it a lot. Then you will know the truth. And the truth will do what? It'll set you free. I think our culture has fallen for so many lies out there from the pit of hell. They're they're directly from Satan and a lie like that, that doing whatever you desire to do with no restrictions will somehow lead to freedom. You ever heard that lie? 
Doing what you want with no restrictions will lead to freedom. And we know the truth now. It leads to bondage and addiction. That's what it leads to. It's a lie from the pit of hell. It is only the truth that we find in Jesus Christ that truly sets men and women free. We have so many lies. Here's some other lies. Have you heard these ones? Having material wealth will bring you true happiness. Ever heard that one? Or having physical beauty will bring true love. Or how about this one? Having great accomplishments in your life will bring true fulfillment. Guys, they're all twisted lies. They're all from the pit. Jesus said Satan was the father of lies. He's one of the best liars that's ever been. When he lies, he speaks his mother tongue, his native tongue. And boy, he's smooth, isn't he? He's eloquent, he's smooth, he's subtle. And the Apostle Paul says he's so subtle, he makes himself sound like an angel of God, like a messenger from God. So what do we need to do? The church, we live in a culture of lies and spin. Everybody's spinning the truth. I think we just need to put our belts on. What are you talking about? I'm talking about the belt of truth. It's in Ephesians 6, 14. Remember that armor of God? It's the first one he mentions in, in Ephesians 6, 14. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist with the breastplate of righteousness in place. We need to get up every morning, put on that belt of truth and ask God to show us the lies and deceit of the enemy who is trying to say, oh, there's lots of things out there that are true. But Jesus is the truth. Randy Alcorn, in his little book, and it is a little book, it's tiny, but it's packed full of stuff. It's called Grace and Truth Paradox. Great book, great author. Randy says, Jesus is the source of truth, and he is the reference point for evaluating all truth claims, because he is the truth. And that's why if we get it wrong about Jesus, then we get it right about some other things, and we get it wrong, because Jesus is the main thing we got to get it right that He is the truth. It doesn't matter what else we get right. And He, he also said that you, know, you and I uh, discover truth. Um, we can't create truth, can we? We discover it. Whatever is true is true, and whatever is not is not for all time, for all people in all places. And our culture doesn't view it that way. Our culture says, no, truth is something that kind of resides inside of every person, subjectively, you know, and it's subject to revision, you know, according to our growth and our enlightenment. When's the last time you heard a politician say, I evolved on that topic? That's our culture. Oh, I just, I, I evolved on that. You don't evolve on truth. Truth either is or it isn't. And scripture views truth as something outside of us. It's not inside of us. It's something which we either believe in or we don't believe in. But we can't, we can't change truth. Randy Alcorn writes, truth isn't about our perceptions or our desires. It's about reality with a capital R. A majority of us could sit around and we could agree that, you know, we'd like to have gravity suspended tomorrow. Let's just, you know, vote on it. And then, but our vote would have no impact on reality. And Americans, part of our problem is we embrace democracy. We, and it's a good form of government. We embrace democratic ideals, but it kind of gives us the illusion sometimes that somehow we should have a voice when it comes to truth. See where that takes us sometimes? But the universe is not a democracy. You know that, right? And sometimes I think we're tempted to think it is. The universe is not a democracy. Truth is not a ballot measure that you vote on. And... 
Could Jesus be any clearer than this verse, John 14, 6? I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I don't know how you messed that one up. How could that be unclear what he's saying? Now, I'm going to say something. I'll be careful with this. I'm going to say something about somebody you probably like, and I kind of like her too. I'm going to read some comments about Oprah Winfrey. And I think Oprah is a, a nice lady, but Randy Acorn says some things, and he shows how dangerous she is as a theologian. He says, uh, he probably the, one of the most influential theologians in America today is Oprah Winfrey. Her spirituality is kind of a hodgepodge of psychology, recovery, and out-of-context scriptures. The Oprah way is church-free. It's build-it-yourself spirituality. All roads lead to heaven. Karma? Sure. Fate? Why not? Reincarnation? Could be. And while you're at it, let's throw in a little bit of Buddhism and Hinduism and the New Age movement and angel-guided living and whatever else you want to throw in. It's up to you. Oprah's faith is amorphous, shape-shifting to the contours of individual preference. See the key word there, preference. Sorry, my mic keeps falling off my ear. I've got hearing aids now, and it's, my ear's too small, I think. Okay, but I've got it. It's a have-it-your-own-way designer religion. It's kind of made to order for our post-Christian culture, isn't it? And Oprah, you know the things that Oprah doesn't talk about? She doesn't talk about things like biblical inspiration, human sinfulness, Christ deity, substitutionary atonement, the cross, the final judgment, the resurrection, or hell. She won't talk about any of those topics. Why? Because they define spirituality. They are truths that refute false belief systems, including the ones that are championed on her programs. Oprah says, this is a quote from Oprah, one of the biggest mistakes humans make is to believe there is only one way. Oprah would not like the sermon I'm preaching today. Actually, Oprah said, actually, there are many diverse paths leading to what you would call God. Oops, Jesus didn't say that. Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. So it's a very dangerous teaching from a nice lady, but it's a very dangerous heresy. Randy writes that truth isn't about our perceptions. He says it's about reality. One more point, and that's Jesus is the life. He is the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus is not just a life to live. He's not just a choice from a menu of options about life. He is the life. He is the only one that can offer us real life and true life. And death is the opposite of life when you think about it. And that is actually a good description of you and I before we met Jesus. We were dead. And that's what Scripture says. Uh, the Apostle Paul says that we were dead in our sin, in our transgressions. Uh, I like uh, Christian author Brennan Manning said this. He said, Jesus didn't come to earth to make good men into better men or even to make bad men into good men. He said, we were much worse off than that. Jesus came to make dead men alive, dead men and women alive. 
Jesus is the only one I know of, guys, that can give us eternal life, everlasting life. He's the only one that can deal with our sin problem. We're all sinners. The wages of sin is death. We all deserve to die. We all deserve to go to hell. But it's only Jesus' death in our place that allows us to have eternal life. I want to make a point here. I think we make a mistake sometimes when we talk about eternal life, when we think about it only starting in the future, like in heaven. That's not what Scripture teaches. In John 10, verse 10, Jesus said, The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they might have life and have it to the full. Other versions say abundant life, significant life, meaningful, purposeful life. That's what Jesus, because he is the life. And by this, I am not talking about the prosperity gospel or the health and wealth gospel, which only preaches half a gospel, which preaches about the blessings of God, you know, big house, big car, money, and and all that stuff, and no problems in your life. That's a heresy. The truth is, God does bless us, and we need to praise Him for that, and He gives us things to enjoy in life, and we need to praise Him for that, but we also have the cost of discipleship. We've got to have a balance of those two. I want you to listen to the counsel that the Apostle Paul gives to Timothy. In 1 Timothy 6, starting in verse 17, he says, Command those who are rich in this present world, and that would include a lot of Americans, if you look at the world, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. He's giving us the life that really is life here. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. And we can begin living that life now, and it will lead us to eternity. I want to say a word about retirement. Um, Some people think that's the purpose of life, is to retire. And I'm going, really? That's the life we're all supposed to look forward to is just retirement? And, 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 and I, know, I, know, I know I don't want to step on people's toes because I, I believe in changing jobs when you're tired and stressed and you can't physically do something, and I believe that. Uh, but I actually don't see it as a concept that's seen in the Bible much. I can't really find it in the Bible. And, and uh, this concept of stopping all work or stopping all ministry or stopping serving people, you will not find that in the Bible. That is not in the Bible at all. We're supposed to serve Jesus Christ until our final breath on this planet. I don't care how old you are. (laughs) So retirement at one level, I understand, but retirement this way is, it's not in the Bible. You don't retire from serving Jesus. And I realize you can get volunteer and not be paid. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about what John John Piper talked about in his book, Don't Waste Your Life. Have you ever read that book? He wrote it several years ago, and he, he starts out the book with a story that he read in Reader's Digest. There was this couple who took early retirement. They lived in the Northeast, and he was 59. That's how old I am, and, and she was 51, and they retired to, to, to Punta Gorda, Florida, where they cruised on their 30-foot trawler. Uh, they, played safe, they played softball, and they collected seashells. That's pretty much what they did every day. And Piper was asking his readers, he wasn't ripping on this couple, he was saying, now if this couple were believers in Jesus Christ, disciples of Jesus, and he said, picture this couple standing before Christ on the great day of judgment, 
and they say, look, Lord, at my pretty seashells. You say, that's a wasted life. He's not against seashells. What's he saying? He's saying we have all been given this chance to live this life on this planet and to help other people find that life. We, our job is to help other people find Jesus because we don't want them to go to hell. We want them to find Jesus. And I know the tension. When we start talking about Jesus, people start shutting us up and pushing back. So we got to get down to something called boldness and courage here in just a second. But what is the real purpose of life? I mean, is it to work hard so you can retire? Is that it? Is it, is it just making more and more paychecks and more paychecks and then spending paychecks and then making paychecks and then spending paychecks over and over and over again and then dying? Is that the purpose of life? Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And you've got to come to the point in your life to whether you believe that or not, that that is true. He doesn't give us any other options. I'm going to read just a little bit from C.S. Lewis in the Mere Christianity. Uh, when he was talking about Jesus, he said, he said, please don't have foolish thoughts about Jesus. He said, I'm trying to prevent anyone saying really foolish thing that a lot of people often say about Jesus. They say things like, well, you know, I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God, you know, to be the way, the truth, and the life. But I think he's a good moral teacher. He said, that is the one thing we must not say. <laughs> a man who was merely a man and said the sort of things that Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on level with the man who says he's a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. A liar. You must make your choice. Either this man, Jesus, was and is the Son of God, and I would add the way, the truth, and the life, or he's not. He said, you make your choice. Either this man was and is God, or he is something else, like a madman, or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool, you can spit at him, you can kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us, and he didn't intend to. That's why John 14, 6 is in the Bible. We just have to decide whether we believe it or not. And whether we have the courage to say that to other people in a culture that doesn't want to even hear his name except for a curse word. That's where we're living. Acts 4, 18 through 20. I love the spirit of Peter and John. They called them in again to the Sanhedrin. They commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, which is right in God's eyes, to listen to you or to him? You be the judges. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. By the way, that coach, and I don't know Doug Peterson, but that coach at the Super Bowl, he was giving his personal testimony. He wasn't cramming Jesus down anybody's throat. He was just unashamedly saying, Jesus is my Lord 
and Savior. That's exactly what Peter and John were doing. There weren't 103 million viewers. It was the Sanhedrin, but they were the power people of his day. And they were saying, we can't, sh- we can't shut up about Jesus. <laughs> we can't do that. We can't do that. To live out the truth of John 14, 6, we're going to have to become bold, unashamed men and women for Jesus. I, I want to pause and say something about Micah Wakeman. Um, I was at his funeral in June. I know 2017 was very hard on this church and hard on the family and hard on everybody. Um, it was hard. It was like a roller coaster that week because Sammy just got married that week. Sammy got married and, and Micah died same week. Killed us. This was a roller coaster. And uh, I went to the funeral and I just wanted, I was going to give a testimony about Micah. That was one of the purest worship experiences I have ever had in my 59 years at that funeral. I was, I was bawling, I was crying, I was sad, I was hurt, like all of you. But I was inspired by that man. And when Ashton said thank you to her daddy, and I was saying thank you to Micah, thank you, thank you, thank you for giving me an example right here in the Mount Pulaski Christian Church. Somebody I watched every week, I watched him. I knew he wasn't perfect, I was in elders meetings with him. But you know what I saw in Micah? I saw what I want this sermon to challenge you about. I saw a man who was bold and unashamed about Jesus Christ, his Lord, and it doesn't matter who he was standing in front of, he would say that. But I also remember the Micah that used to get up on the stage during communion, and he hated to speak in front of people, and he would start crying during, he'd start crying during communion meditation. He was a, he was a bold man, but he had a gentle heart. Guys, that's what we need. I'm, I'm wearing the wristband that he wore. I had to staple it together this morning. I've been wearing it broke, and I'm going to have to get another one off the internet. I, I have Micah's picture in my day timer. I literally have looked at his picture at least once and multiple times every day since the funeral, and I will continue to do it. <sighs> Why? Because I want to be like Micah. I want to be like him. And when I saw all the men in this church serving at the funeral, I had one prayer in my heart. I said, God, raise up all the men in Mount Pulaski Christian Church. Every man in this church. Make them like Micah. And I don't mean in personality. I know we're all gifted differently. But I meant in boldness and courage. Make every man in the Mount Pulaski Christian Church into a Micah. That's what I've been praying for you guys. And when I go to Mason City as their pastor, I'll be still praying for you guys. Same prayer. I want to be like Micah, and I want you. And that's not about Micah. It's because Micah served Jesus. And Micah would say, like Paul, follow my example as I follow Jesus. It's about Jesus. But he was one of the closest examples I've ever had in my life of a man who loved Jesus with all his heart. And I rededicated my life at that funeral I want to live Jesus for Jesus my whole life until my last breath. I want to live full out. I don't want to be ashamed of Jesus. And guys, this sermon's hard for me, not because I'm talking about Micah. It's because I'm a people pleaser. And a lot of you are like me. You don't want to upset people. You don't want to rock the boat. You don't want to make people feel uncomfortable. I need to become bolder. This culture needs all of us, every man and woman in this room. This culture needs us to be bold 
But guys, we've also got to be kind and gentle. I want to take you to 1 Peter 3.15. See if you notice both of them in this passage. 1 Peter 3.15, it says, In your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. That coach said, Jesus is my Lord and Savior. In your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to anyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. My favorite quote is, live your life in such a way that it demands an explanation. Isn't that a good quote? Live your life in such a way in front of a watching world so that it demands an explanation. And someone's going to come up to you someday and say, why are you the way you are? Why are you so nice to me? Why don't you cuss like everybody else? Why don't you tell dirty stories like, why don't, you, why don't you look at porn like everybody else? Why are you different? And then you say it's because of Jesus Christ, my Lord and Savior. That's why I'm different. But did you notice, I didn't finish the verse yet. Notice what it says? It says, but do this, do this with gentleness and respect. We need boldness, people that are willing to declare that Jesus is Lord, and we need to live out the Lordship in our lives, but we also need gentleness and kindness. Last night, I was reading some of the comments that people made against Tony Dungy. Of course, Tony Dungy had commented that you know it was the faith of some of the Eagles players that was a factor in how they played as a team, and he made that comment. He's a strong Christian. He got a lot of pushback on that, and if you ever read comments on the internet, I, I would say don't do it very often. It just, it just always degenerates to, you idiot, you idiot, you idiot, and then it, it just gets worse than that. And I'm talking about Christians who are trying to talk about things like creation and talk about Jesus, and it gets ugly and uglier and uglier. Guys, we can't do that. That is not going to work. That's going to shoot ourselves in the foot. No one's going to want to follow Jesus. If we can stop the ugliness, we can be unashamed and bold gentle and kind at the same time it is possible do you believe that i believe it i think it's what i saw in micah i think it's what i want paul said in romans 1 16 he said for i am not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of god that brings salvation to everyone who believes first for the jew then to the gentile jesus said i am the way the truth and the life do you believe that? Are you ashamed to say that? Let's pray. Abba Father, would you please make all of us into bold believers with a gentle spirit? We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.